Hello and welcome to episode 67 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and pioneer, mostly pioneer, right now, today, this week. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. This was, this was a weird week for me. It's a weird one. How so? It's just like you know, it's settling in to like the long weirdness. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the novelty is totally gone of being at home all the time. And uh, now we're supposed to be truly isolating ourselves from one another. So that's, that's another addition there. But it's just, you know, starting to add up a little bit. I just want to I want to make sure you're good. I'm doing fine. I do think it's weird that you and your wife won't interact at all and are only living on opposite sides of your house. That's not true. Oh, okay. That's com- that's completely untrue. Don't even insinuate that. I was just on the couch with her. We were watching Parks and Rec season three. I, th- I thought that's what you meant when you were talking about the, the isolation. Oh, no. We're socially isolating ourselves? Yeah, just friends, neighbors. You know, I want to see them. I see you. You know who else I see? It's the Godfather. Dave Harbarger. I got nothing this week. I'm so tired, you guys. <laughs> I know. Why am I tired? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm working two jobs. Doing childcare during the day, doing work at night. Three jobs if you count the podcast. This is the podcast. I've had a lot of Zoom meetups with friends that turn into like two hour long conversations where we're hanging out, which is nice to catch up with people online. But uh, yeah, I'm exhausted. But I'm still here. I got a little bit to say about a, de- a little deck, and uh, we'll just, we'll take it one one minute at a time. All 120 of them. Remember that show? That was a good show. Beep, 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 beep. What show is that? I actually I don't follow. 120 minutes. Yeah, it had uh, it had Kirk, what's his name, and his twin brother, and they had they had two days to figure out like this, this governmental plot, like there was a terrorist and they had, you know, they had 48 hours, 120 minutes times, right? That's how it all worked. That's not it. Pretty sure 48 hours is more than 120 minutes. That's maybe two hours. That's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that uh, MTV program from 1986 to 2000 that was hosted by Matt Pinfield. Oh, Matt Pinfield. Yes. Right. Let's move he on. Ruled. On this week's episode, we're only talking about Pioneer and apparently MTV, but mostly Pioneer. To hell with all the other formats, whatever they're called. We kick off with a breakdown of both Pioneer Super Qualifiers that took place over the weekend on MTGO. Then we dive into the world of Budget Pioneer and test a few decks that recently did well online that also cost under $100 in paper. Let's see how long it takes before we start throwing money at our problems. But before we get into all of that, we know what you're asking for. Yes, it's that time. It's housekeeping. Shoutouts this week go to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. Big thank you to David S., David G., no relation, and Chris M. Weirdly, both of those Davids are related to me, though. I, I put out my David call, caca. To Dave! <laughs> and they showed up this week, so it's great. Also, shout out to friend of the show, Odin E, for leaving a very friendly review on Apple Podcasts. 
Sorry, Odin. Your review said that we're the best modern podcast. We're not talking about modern this week, but if I have my way, we'll be back to doing modern content next week. As always, we are brought to you by our patrons on patreon.com. Patreon is an awesome way for you to give back to the show, help support us, help keep us going. Um, we have some awesome benefits for all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can join for as little as a buck an episode that gives you access to the super secret Slack server. where having ongoing conversation all the time about magic, pioneer, modern video games, life, it's a lot of life chats these days. Can I pull back the Patreon curtain for just a second? Oh, please. So before the pandemic took hold of our daily lives, we put in this huge order for playmats because we're overdue to ship out a bunch of playmats. And we put in the order and then COVID basically shut down most businesses in Chicago, all the non-essential businesses, including comic shops and playmats providers so we're really sorry that we're a little overdue for sending those out that's something that i usually take care of i literally can't get the playmats but as soon as i can pick them up i'm going to make it my number one priority to put them in the mail and we'll keep the patrons updated on when that happens via our slack yeah we are a little overdue for shipping some stuff out mainly just because yeah this whole COVID 19 thing i'm a little hesitant to go be packing a bunch of stuff up shipping it out from the post office i apologize hopefully after things wind down they can all get out i know you're all being patient and we appreciate that um but some of the things that we're talking about shipping out like stance we have play mats we have tokens we have stickers we have uh pins and they're awesome. Dave has designed so many cool things for us to give you all. And we're truly appreciative of your ongoing support. And as always, we're also brought to you in part by Manatraders.com. Manatraders.com, the best way to rent your Magic Online cards. Uh, if you want to help support us via checking them out, you can go to Manatraders.com and enter code the dive down, all one word all lowercase, to receive 15% off of your first three months of rentals. Manitraders.com. Now with all that out of the way, let's jump over to Shane Beeps, who is at the news desk this week. Mr. Beeps. Yes, sir. Where are you? Well, I'm looking at the scene of two Pioneer Super Qualifiers that took place over this last weekend. We just have the... Just the, the fields of battle are strewn with deck lists for us to examine. Uh, the winners are still celebrating. They're super happy, super hyped. What we're going to do is we're going to go over the top eight for each of these. I'm not sure why they had two. Do you know why they had two? Any idea? Something to do. Yeah, just why not? Have two of them. Necessity is the mother of Magic Online tournaments. So we got the top 32 of each of these tournaments. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go over the top eight for each and then go over kind of a combined top 32 metagame to keep you up to date with some competitive happenings on Magic Online. There's also some pretty cool decks in here that we're going to go over uh, pretty quickly at the end of the breakdown. So let's start with the Super Qualifier Numero Uno. Uh, This one appeared to have nine rounds. And so let's go over the top eight here. So first we have High Moon, 
with what looks to be kind of an Esper control build. Uh, they're running eight planeswalkers, kind of have like, you know, the typical ones, three Teferi, but, and, uh, you know, big Teferi, Elspeth's son's champion. But interestingly, they're running two Elspeth's son's nemesis, which is kind of a novel addition. Yes. A card that was, I think people were interested in running and I've seen, you know, appear now and then, but not really a, a two of. Yeah, so I actually played her in Modern a little bit uh, in like the side- sideboard of some blue-white Stoneblade decks. And what I really love here is that, A, it's not competing with any Delve spells, right? It, there's no Treasure Cruise, there's no Dig Through Time, but it is feeding the yard with Search for Escanta. Yeah, that card's making a little comeback here. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty impressed with Sun's Nemesis in general, even though it seems like kind of slow, it's so hard to get rid of permanently. So I can see it being a potent clock compared to some other planeswalkers. I mean, talk about slow. This deck's also running something like Frasca's Contempt. You know what I mean? Just for, I guess, the exile clause here. Mm-hmm. That's a 4 CMC spell. I just want to point out that this deck also has one of Ashiok Nightmare Muse in the sideboard, which we talked about last week as being a card that people should keep an eye on because it is appearing. Here it is again. Mm-hmm. So up next, we have Law 11 with another interesting build kind of out of left field. It's this sort of heavy blue wizardy type list. It's splashing green for Risen Reef apparently solely i don't see anything else that has green at all and it's just kind of like a blue tempo-y deck it it doesn't really it doesn't even have like it has like a singleton nykthos even with all the blue pips so it has you know like brace and bauer gadwick the wise end a master of waves merfolk trickster you know risen reef of course to capitalize on the elementals here it's it's a really interesting deck that i don't know exactly how it wins i guess just hoping to capitalize on the risen reef well there's a couple of different things here that i would say from playing a few decks like this one is that um it can just win via master waves right so it has an aggressive plan good card it's got brazen borrower gadwick the wizened is a surprisingly good card i think at this point even if you play it for just three it can be pretty good yeah. Sometimes if you play it for without drawing a card later on, maybe you can play another one or unsummon it. This deck is running two unsummons. Sure. And um, so I think there's some interesting stuff you can do there. The other thing I would say that is that um, it has a Nykthos in the main, a single Nykthos that I think occasionally you can get your devotion up so high that you can Gadwick for a whole bunch of mana. Sure. And potentially Thassa's Oracle yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm really impressed with just the beatdown plan in general. This looks like tempo plus beatdown with a little bit of disruption. Unsummon is in there, main deck mystical dispute, sure. But also Wizard's Retort. Counterspell's good. I'm just kind of surprised that this wasn't sort of the standard blue devotion deck. Or like, you know, they they're sort of removing the devotion package of the ley lines. They don't they only have the singleton nick those. But I guess this, you know, clearly this deck can still get there. Yeah, I mean, being able to risen reef uh with master waves. Yeah, so that's a big game. Yeah, I mean you can ramp a whole bunch of lands into play if you have a bunch of devotion first. So um 
don't know. Interesting. Yeah. All these decks, all two of these decks are pretty interesting so far. Let's see what else there is. Well, we we're going to start losing a little bit of interestingness here. Uh, number three, Boo. big mana Ben with Demir inverter. The unseen follows that up in fourth place with the gruel aggro deck. Um, pretty cool. I mean, it's just 35 creatures, a couple old school, uh, Domri raids rods, rodays. Um, Interestingly, this has four Voltaic Brawler, which is a perfectly serviceable beatdown card for sure. Oh, I missed that card. I used to play that card in Standard. That was a fun card in Draft, actually. That was very good. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm still maintaining that Gruel Aggro is going to be probably one of the best aggro decks in the format uh, once the mana is a little bit better. Right now, it still can show up and, and wins, you know, take fourth place here. I mean, it's sweet that this deck is running Gallia of the Endless Dance. Yeah, Singleton here. We're going to see her show up later uh, more in Moro copies. I keep seeing her pop up in these non-Satir decks in general. I find that so unexpected. What about Satyr decks? What are those? Guess what? It's Trinket text. It's all about being able to draw cards. Mm-hmm. So next up, we have MTG Pirate with Inverter. After that, uh, Boss Sauce with Inverter. After that, Wurzo Busex with, you guessed it, Inverter. Inverter. Wow, we got a lot of Inverter in this top yeah, eight. Yeah, huh? we have. This is this is a lot of Inverter for sure. I mean, what f- four of our top eight is Demir Inverter? Not really what we want to be seeing. Potentially not super dynamic here. Uh, and then we finish it off with eighth place Ariane with mono white devotion um interestingly singleton sky sovereign council flagship because why not the boat it's it's a mana sink at least and it's also a flying wind condition so i mean not bad not bad i mean it's it's a beater it certainly helps i mean i like it in my my sideboard for like mono green walkers but quick question just so we're clear if heliod is not a creature it cannot crew the sky sovereign correct yep okay okay ariane yeah i see what you're up to just fly in that boat so let's jump over to super qualifier number two this looked like it was like an eight rounder and first place <laughs> hd 991122 with salt salti delirium so salti delirium Coming back out of the woodwork after not being anywhere for a few weeks, we see it take down this huge tournament. Mm-hmm. Tons of one ofs. Yeah, these decks always look like trade binders to me. Yeah, very delirium y, very much seasoned to taste. I think we can talk about you know this, the builds of delirium a little bit later. Uh, after that, another blast from the past uh, Mazina Linda with mono black aggro pretty classic list here nothing weird there's no like you know new mono black creatures that they found in their trade binder just the the classic list uh, a doom blade is somewhat novel here maybe because they're saying oh well black's not that popular right now so i'll be the person running doom blade mm-hmm. after that we've got boyne boyne is uh my favorite <laughs> Boyne is uh, running here at Mono Red Aggro. They have three main deck Eidolon of the Great Revel. Everything else is kind of what you would expect in like a low to the ground Mono Red deck. This is topping out at three Torbrins. Not even any uh, Embercleave here in this list. 
After that, we have a Lyrasirin with Gruel Aggro. This one's a little bit lower to the ground than our last list. It has uh, four Atarka's Command to pump up the creatures, get some damage through. Uh, this one has four Galia of the Endless Dance and just looking to beat down. And four Annex, Hardened in the Forge. That's, I mean, that card definitely is on the fringes of pioneer playability for sure. And I think here clearly he's like, Hey, um, I'm better than fringe Shane. I'm here as a four of. Yeah. I think that this deck went eight Oh in the Swiss, if I remember right looking earlier. So even though it came in fourth place, uh, yeah, 24 points in the Swiss. Um, yeah, this definitely was the biggest surprise to me when I looked at these, these, uh, results. Fire drinker Seder, man, I have not cast that card since I was playing con standard Mono red beatdown. Jackal pup. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey, strictly better jackal pup. Okay, Dave. Yeah. Fair. Okay, fifth place. We have another mono red aggro deck piloted by Ichiban TV. That's my favorite station. Um, and this is pretty standard. It's kind of just the same low to the ground deck that people are running right now. Um, this one also has three Eidolon of the Great Rebels, two Ember Cleaves, two Torbrin. That's the top end is just these four drops or, you know, Ember Cleave, you probably want to cast what for like two to three mana, hopefully. I don't know. I've never cast an Ember Cleave. You're missing out, man. Live that life. It's a good card. It looks like the type of card I would love to cast. And I just never have actually tried playing any of these Ember Cleave decks. I've cast so many on Magic Arena and it's dirty. It's a dirty card. Artifact type, sword. <laughs> my favorite artifact type sixth place mlgb 92 with mono green walkers this is pretty standard deck at this point pretty set this person has a singleton genesis hydra replacing one of the voyaging satyrs interestingly in the sideboard i started to notice that meteor golem after being one of the cards that people were talking about for these wish boards as an option seems to be more of a standard inclusion. It's not in all these lists, but people are running it more frequently. Um, two of heaven. Is it heaven and earth heaven to earth? Yeah. Heaven to earth is what those are supposed to be. And so they, you can't even cast the earth side, but you don't really need to. And heaven is just X green instant deal X damage to each creature with flying. And I think this is just huh. primarily to stop the pretty tough spirits matchup, I guess. Yeah. There isn't a whirlwind in, in here. If you can't, I mean, in there, I, I think that there's a different, I guess this is an instant. Yeah. Instant's good. So it's just uh, shoring up a potentially challenging matchup there. Quick question about this card. Yes. So Shane, we actually, you and I played a little matchup today where you were on spirits and it seems to me that, for heaven to really wipe a spirits board, X sometimes has to equal like four or five. Oh yeah, for sure. But if you're a mono green uh, ramp deck, you're going to have that mana at some point. You don't think spell queller is, you know, potentially countering like some of your ramp spells. Well, that's the thing is you don't really have ramp spells. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you have like the, you're just getting online with your, your pips of devotion and your early elves and things like that. So, I mean, spell colors, we're going to get one of your spell and one of your, you know, four CMC or lower 
spells likely, but then maybe you're fighting it off the board with your Vivian Arcbow Ranger or just kind of going over the top with Nissa who shakes the world. And once you get to the mana where you can clear out a spell queller, it's like, oh, cool, I'll get my spell back. So I think it's going to get you there unless you're just getting steamrolled and you would have lost that game anyway. I actually forgot Nissa who shakes the world is five mana since they're never casting that on turn five. Oh no. Why, why would you do that? <laughs> also, I just want to issue a correction about for myself. It's not whirlwind. It's windstorm is the card I was trying to think of, which is the same card as heaven. Uh, the front end of heaven. I, I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's an instant and it's pioneer legal because it was in cons. So I don't know what's up there. Just run the cool card. Just, just pretend you have like a red splash. Right. I go on. You know, on. You know what's funny is if in a pinch, if you really need to, you could you could cast it off of double burning tree emissary. <laughs> you could cast Earth. There's your answer. <laughs> um, no, no, burning tree emissary makes can make double red. No, it adds red green. Yeah, so double burning tree. Okay. Uh, eighth place, Daniel MTG with mono white devotion. Pretty normal looking list here. C- couple Tomix main uh, by and large, pretty similar to kind of like decks we were talking about. Is that last week already? Two weeks last ago. Last week. All right. I feel like we skipped over seventh place because it was also a mono green devotion deck. Oh, we did. Wiki, mono green walkers. I apologize, Wiki. You got seventh place with mono green walkers. I love these decks. Congratulations to sixth and seventh place solely. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's through the power of pivot tables, okay? We, uh, and the MTG, uh, stand raising a glass of wine to, Pivot tables. MTG Goldfish for letting us copy and paste from their tables very nicely to the power of Google Sheets and Microsoft Excel for pivot tables. We were able to quickly total up and look at the deck archetype appearances across both these top 32. So let's break this down, okay? We have, out of 64 decks, 11 mono-white devotion. And there's an additional white-blue devotion deck as well. So as we talked about last week... Mono white still seems to be this powerful strategy. It's a pretty good counter to what I would probably say is our next like top tier, tier one, tier A, tier S deck. But but wait, so there were 12 mono white or mono white splash blue devotion decks out of 30 out of 64, 18.75% of the metagame. That's wow. That's when you put it that way, Dave, that's even that's a bigger number than 11. Sure is. It's almost 12. Guess what? Each deck counts for more than 1% of the meta. That's just math. All right. But I think it's a pretty... We see these two decks, I think, just kind of beating each other out, right? We've got nine inverter decks. Still here. Still great. I didn't notice much new tech when I was going through these lists. I think the deck is still just that powerful controlling strategy with a combo finish. Not much really, I think, for us to say besides still good. If you like playing it, win some games are we still of the belief that even though it's good it's not too good it's just the flavor of the week when you're not being careful inverter will come scoop you up here's what i think is interesting is let's say people sort of figure out a foil to mono white devotion they start playing decks that beat mono white devotion more it takes a little bit of the the the, like the predator away from the inverter decks do those rise a little bit more because mono white is probably the, the the most powerful popular strategy against it. That'll be something to keep our eye on. But right now we have these two decks. 
Yeah. I mean, we played a lot of Pioneer this week. How did you guys, how much did you face off against both of these decks? I didn't see Mono White, but I did see Inverter. And Inverter is still very good because they have removal and I was playing small creature decks. Fair enough. Same for me. I was playing a fast deck, so I could sometimes get under Inverter, but they have so much disruption and removal that my dinky prowess creatures sometimes didn't even stand a chance. Spoilers, Stan. That's a tease, David. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, third place in our top 32 appearances was eight mono red. And this is kind of a surprise to me. Like after seeing one of like a few months with mono red sort of on the decline, sort of sitting on the sidelines, these slightly lower to the ground mono red decks appear to be kind of back in force, right? They're they have their curb topping out at a few Torbrin, a few Ember Cleave, and they're just trying to aggro people out right now. You know what I think it is? Rampaging Ferocidon. Yeah, it's it's in a lot of main decks right now for sure. So good against Heliod. Totally shuts off the combo. Here's what's super wild to me about these decks. They run four Monastery Swift Spear. Yes. They only have eight non-creature spells. <laughs> Just gotta do it. Uh, Bone Crusher Giant. Don't forget Bone Crusher Giant. Oh, Bone Crusher Giant helps with that. Embercleave helps with that. Still, it's it's a kind of low. Like You're not triggering prowess that often, right? I mean, it's enough to make it worthwhile. I mean, they are adding like Zergo. I mean, you played this deck at in uh, Phoenix, right? Basically, did you play Monastery Swiss Spear too? Oh yeah. Oh sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I my list eschewed the Abbot of Carol Keep, but Abbot is also out of most of these lists. Right. Um, I think the main deck Eidolon is a smart inclusion right now. Why not? Um, but yeah, these decks are very similar to what I ran. I think the main deck for Ocelodon is smart. I had mine on the side. Uh, a couple Zergo helps keep your curve even lower. So I think it's just like, it's just slightly smaller and slightly just kind of what you need to be with doing with red, I think. But hitting for two with a Swiss Spear in a deck like this is fine, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and then you do have the late game power of, you know, you can either, you can get an Embercleave, like get an Embercleave on it, like if you sort of just sticks around and it's one of your attackers or pumped up with a Torbrin. You know, everything is good with a Torbrin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the thing about Swiss Spear here and the clues to that is just the role of Embercleave in, in the deck as well as Rebel Master. This is a go-wide deck. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, even Kari Zev is swinging with two bodies. That's a good point, Stan. I think the one point of damage that Swiss Spear is probably doing most of the time is okay because it's doing, you know, one of many points of damage across your board. Yeah, it really is a go-wide deck i think that's that's a good point stan because it's it's even got castle embreath does have castle embreath because it's just it's designed to every point of damage matters if you get let's say two to three points of damage with your swiss spirits as good as a shock type thing so all right but um up next we have my personal favorite right now five mono green walkers so our fourth most frequent deck is mono green not much new here it seems like it's it's sticking around this deck is not quickly falling off it wasn't kind of a flavor of the week it's definitely been something that's sticking up in the middle tier of the format and also with five decks is lotus breach it's back 
Even after it was showing up last week, people still appeared to be shaving on their damping spheres. I did. I looked at the spell counts that Goldfish provided, and there weren't a ton of damping spheres. There was a pretty modest amount, and I think it's pretty clearly dangerous to be playing that game right now. I mean, the interesting thing to me about this is that this is the first deck on the metal list that you've put together here that is placing, kind of, but doesn't have a top eight. Mm-hmm. So just kind of interesting. The other four, the other three decks that you talked about did the next few decks that you're going to talk about also had top eights. So mm-hmm. good point. Yeah, up next, we have four salt delirium decks. I still pretty much appear to be kind of like a season to taste, like make your own stew of salt. trade binder, good cards. Um, the same core exists, you know, that we have removal, you have your stater wayfinder and you have, of course, Uro. Yeah, realistically, this is just Uro.deck for Pioneer, though, right? I think so. That's the Uro deck. It's got a toolbox, it's got thought sees, it's got a lot of other good stuff, but it's really just like all of these lists have for Uro all the time. Yeah. Up next is a deck we didn't see do a top eight. I believe that's Bant Spirits or four Bant Spirits decks. Didn't see anything particularly novel in these, but this is still a perfectly good deck. Interestingly, here, three Mono Green Ramp. Kind of an oldie, but a goodie. Uh, I don't really know what this deck was really hoping to prey on. Why play this maybe over the, the Walker strategy? I don't know, but it's it definitely just wants to go over the top. It wants to ramp to your Ugins, wants to ramp to your Ulamogs. Uh, and some of them splash blue for Uro as well. Three Gruel Aggro. I still maintain that uh, when this deck has even better mana, it's going to probably be the best sort of strictly aggro beatdown deck around. Two mono black, pretty much relegated to you know tier three right now. It's somehow still showing up. I think if you're good with it, if you like the strategy, it can win. We we saw it do what second place earlier, so it's going to get you places, but it's not necessarily as powerful as it used to be. And we had nine other one ofs. Cool. Do you think there's anything in particular that's preying on strategies like mono black? I mean, preying. What's preying on mono black? That's a good question. I mean, stuff that goes over the top, I think, is going to be fine. Like, I think Mono Green Walkers, uh, probably the Salti Delirium decks, potentially. I mean, there's so much recursion that you kind of lose your 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 one-for-ones. You know, they become less valuable for you. It's a good question, Stan. I think Mono White is pretty good against Mono Black, I would think, as well. That makes sense. Yeah. Can't really get rid of, of Heliod other than via Thoughtseize. So. Although... They do run Fatal Push, which is a really great instant speed answer to Walking Ballista. Right. Sure. Though, as we discussed last week, you don't need Walking Ballista to win. Exactly. Once you actually know how to play the deck. Though it helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about what's not here really quickly. We don't have any Is it in Soul. There's no traditional blue-white control at all. I mean, that Esper deck might as sort of might as well be, but... Yeah. That's the only one, and it's, I mean, it does have a lot of black cards. No Golgari Stompy, which has been a popular deck. No Mono Green or Golgari Stompy. That's a surprise. Um, let's talk about a few of these spicy one-offs really quick. We can get out of the segment. So we've got, I thought something that was interesting was this Team 5C person. They had a green deck that was splashing blue. They went 6-3. It was basically kind of like a big mana deck. They, they want to get a bunch of land down. Uh, they want to hit their lands with like Seder, uh, Seder Wayfinder, Jade Light Ranger. They've got a couple Sylvan Advocates, which is a 2-3 Vigilance 2-drop that scales 
into the late game if you have six or more lands that creature and land creatures get plus two plus two so it's i guess looking to power up your nissa lands it has like four tamio four nissa four uro and three cyclonic rift so just a kind of interesting sort of big blue green deck that's not the traditional ramp style yeah that's cool i mean cyclonic rift i think is a card that's probably a little underplayed in pioneer right now in general i mean it's super powerful there's a lot of creature decks um I think in the right shell, it's it can be you know a plague wind basically if you're kind of doing some kind of combination of aggressive plus wanting a little bit of disruption. So I liked this. Uh, I have the fire Jun Traverse deck went seven one. There's just a ton of one ofs here. Uh, interesting conclusions like Distended Mindbender that like strips multiple cards out of the opponent's hand potentially. Three Deathrite Shaman making a little comeback. Three Kroxa. And Forestator Wayfinder are kind of like our engine cards here. But by and large, it's just like this huge random toolbox deck. Yeah, I mean, what this deck is to me, honestly, so I played against this deck oh. a couple of times last week. As it turned out, after after these results came out, I think people were playing around with it because everybody wants to Deathrite Shaman with Kroxa. And uh, it works. You know, it's kind of just like an alternate take on the Sultai deck. It's a little bit more aggressive than that deck. Um, you know, obviously it's got a similar tools, but uh, what it does is pick up your Kroxa. It picks up a th- like a glory bringer to be able to run. And that's kind of mostly it. Um, but it was a cool deck to see. I mean, seeing a Jun mid-range deck would be pretty cool in the, in the format for sure. And something I think you all will probably like, at least Stan, we have a Nonus with this, is it prowess aggro deck? It went seven, one. It's like this red-based aggro deck with Swiss Spear and Soulscar, of course, but it has like Dreadhorde Arcanist, uh, the Is It Two Drop of Storm Chaser Mage, a bunch of spells to provide prowess and get damage through. It looks like an interesting deck for sure. The thing I like about this deck is that it has both red spells and blue spells. Oh, is that the color combination? Yeah, it's always always good. Is it? No. <laughs> I don't know. Is it though? It's not, but love it. Low, low wizard count in this deck. Yeah. That's a little, a little light on the wizardry. There's only 11. Yeah. Maybe you don't need wizards when you're relying on swift spear and you're just trying to stay low to the ground. Yeah. But you are running four wizards lightning, which is like, yeah, you really want it, you know? Yeah. It's not great on the three. I'll tell you what. So did we learn anything new? You guys learn anything new from these results? I can't make sense of the Pioneer format. <laughs> it's like, where did, where did Mono Red come from? Eight Mono Red decks, a quarter of the top. No, that's like, what is That's not a quarter. That is a, a 16th. No, an eighth. It's an eighth. Yeah. 12.5% is Mono Red coming out of nowhere almost. It's not only does the meta shift every week, it shifts between Saturday and Sunday when the new tournament fires i i don't get it all the inverter people were like look we're all gonna come hang out in inverter club we're gonna have those 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 famous mirrors that we love playing and then no one go play on sunday it 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 really makes me wonder whether the best thing you can do in pioneer is pick a deck maybe like two decks and just commit them to memory because on any given tournament or any given day that deck has a shot to win. 
And what I think is happening over time as the format sort of evolves, cards get taken out, new sets come out. I feel like it's growing and we're not seeing a lot of decks sort of fall by the wayside yet, unless, of course, something gets banned. Yeah, I think we know the the good decks right now and we have an idea of what the best decks are, but it doesn't mean the good decks aren't something worth playing and can't be tuned to beat those best decks. I, th- I think one of the things that I think you have to do is plan for Lotus Breach right now. I think you can't skimp on your damping spheres. People will take advantage of that and they will show up. It's, you know, like affinity or, in, or dredge in modern or affinity used to be at least. And I think it's interesting that like sort of these novel control and like heavy mid range decks are succeeding again right now. And I think that there's definitely always opportunity for those decks to appear. Always opportunity for those decks to do well if you know how to pilot them and have a plan against the the metagame you expect to see. I feel it. I sort of miss Is It in Soul enough that I rented it last night and played a few matches and it was nice to cast one drops again and equip them with two mana auras. You monster. I'll give this wizard deck a try. Why not? You know you're gonna. This time next week, ask me about the wizard deck and I will tell you how I did. I'll try to remember that. I'm going to put it in my uh, in OmniFocus so I remember. All right. So let's 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 head out of here. Uh, go into the dive down where, like Stan said earlier, we're going to be talking about some budget decks in Pioneer. Give our uh, sleeve, believe, heave ratings on them, and uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us. combination of forces led us to thinking about budget decks this week. The first among them was an article by our friend Eva Partlow, who highlighted a few pioneer strategies from recent MTGO results that cost less than 100 bucks to build. One of them, which Dave actually tested for this episode, cost under $20 to build in paper. Whoa, a steal. Is it that cheap? At least it was when she published the article. Wow. And seeing this article got us thinking about the role of budget decks in a format like Pioneer, when fetch lands aren't an option, which in theory helps keep the price of an average deck, a Pioneer deck lower than an average modern deck, does that open the door for budget options to be more competitive in general? We also couldn't help but consider the stream of new players picking up M2GO right now. Though we don't have actual numbers for how many people are signing up for the platform, Based on the number of people we're seeing in leagues at a given time, coupled with some insights shared by mana traders, along with broader growth in the MTGO economy, there's a pretty strong indication that online magic is perhaps more popular than it's been in a while. And let's let's talk about one thing for a second here, too. There's a lot of economic uncertainty going on right now. Yeah. And, you know, not everybody might have... People still might want to play but maybe don't have the money to shell out for a tier one deck right now. And so I think taking a look at budget right now is a great option just to, to check in and see what it's like to play some of these decks through leagues and see what it's really like. I mean, like Stan said, the deck that I ran was 20 bucks. Uh, you know, it's the cost of two leagues to get this deck basically. And I uh, will talk about it a little bit, but it, it, it hung in there. So, um, Something else to keep in mind as far as timing for why to talk about budget right now goes. Yeah, just uh, an anecdote. I don't know if you guys saw this, but on Sunday, Saffron Olive tweeted, 
what I thought was an interesting observation. Essentially that the modern index on Magic Online has recovered everything it's lost since this past autumn when Pioneer was announced and is basically the same price as summer of 2018 before Arena had caused a huge MTGO sell-off at the time. Interestingly, my paper collection, which I also index on uh, MTG Goldfish, has lost a decent amount of value. So yeah. people are people are trying to move some paper cards, uh, getting into various rental services, maybe buying the cards outright, and the price on Magic Online is definitely going up. But it also is a good time to start thinking about, I think, perhaps buying into some paper in preparation for when we have the opportunity, hopefully in the near future, to be playing again uh, in real life. So where does that leave us? Demand for MTGO cards is high, and the cost of digital cards is likewise going up. And we have this entire format whose card pool sort of lends itself to a more affordable playing experience in general. So that's why we decided the timing was right to give some budget options the old college try and maybe see for ourselves whether there's an actual effective pool of strategies out there that can let people keep up with Pioneer's metagame without spending a bunch of money. So that's right, folks. It's a Sleeve Believe Heave episode, MTG Budget Edition. Bah, 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 bah. Was, that, was that worthy of, a, of the air horn, do you think? Yeah, I'll allow it. So as mentioned, the idea for this episode initially came from Emma's article on TCG Player, which we will link in the show notes, since it featured a couple decks that piqued our interest as players. For this episode, I'm playing a Mono Red Phoenix deck that MTGO player MF Moller recently trophied with. Uh, and since Stan called dibs on the Phoenix deck, curse him, uh, I ended up playing a Mono Red Hollow One deck that was featured in Emma's article by the player Timu, who is somebody who comes up every once in a while in 5 0 lists. Notable Blue Moon player. Ah, I knew I recognized the name from somewhere. Mm hmm. I decided to head over to MTG Goldfish on their metagame pages for the various formats. They have some, they have a bunch of budget decks actually down at the bottom of the page. And I saw a mono blue flyers deck that uh, interested me. So I took that out for a spin and I'll be talking about that at the end. Me first. Do it, Stan. Sweet. I'm really excited because I used to play mono red Phoenix in modern before faithless looting got banned. You did? In fact, I was one of the first people in the world to play it. Hmm. Hmm. It's more spurious claim, but okay. And even though I dabbled a bit with the all-in prowess that the deck has become today, the Phoenix version was always my favorite. I love that it had an aggressive prowess strategy coupled with a recursive threat that led to some really quick explosive kills, sometimes as early as turn three. In the Pioneer version, on the other hand doesn't have any of the free spells that make the modern deck so consistent and powerful. Instead of cards like Manamorphose, Lava Dart, and even Gutshot, the Pioneer version leans in on Crash Through and Warlord's Fury and Haggle to trigger prowess and hopefully get a Phoenix out of the yard. So what's this deck trying to do? In my opinion, it's really straightforward. You want to land a prowess threat on turn one, it's always Monastery, Swift Sphere, or Soulscar Mage. Par for the chorus for most mono-red prowess strategies. I'm liking what I'm hearing so far. Likewise, you try to trigger prowess as often as possible, 
hopefully while getting birds into the graveyard. So you have Haggle, which is uh, the adventure side of Merchant of the Vale, which is a, a rummaging effect. That is a May ability. You have Lightning Axe, single red instant, discard a card, deal five damage to target creature. And you've got Thrill of Possibility, one in a red instant, discard a card, draw two cards. The deck is also trying to trigger Prowess while getting birds out of the graveyard. And that's where cards like Crash Through, Warlord's Fury, and Finale of Promise come in handy. Yes, I finally learned how to say Finale. My man. And then along the way, you're trying to tap into some additional discard synergies using Ox of Agonis, Fiery Temper, and likewise Finale of Prowess to try to recast some of those cards that you threw into the graveyard. It basically is Finale of Prowess in this deck, isn't it? That's funny. That's funny, Shane. No, you said Finale of Prowess. I was just, I was just leaning in, Stan. I was just running with it. How dare you? So this deck, I think it's worth pointing out a couple of things that are very different about this deck from the modern version. We kind of touched on it for a second. But one thing to note is you cannot trigger a bird out of the graveyard before turn three. Is that right? Correct. So you have to kind of adjust your thinking if you're used to playing this deck um, in modern because, you know, you're sometimes figuring out ways to do it. You used to be able to do it on turn one, you know, and if you had the right draw. And now you have to think about, okay, maybe Phoenix is kind of like the second chapter of my attack instead of the, the first chapter of my attack. And also you have to think about how to sequence your spells so that you're working towards turn three being pretty big instead of an earlier turn being pretty big. My, my thoughts when I've played Phoenix and pioneer anyway, mostly in the blue, blue red variety. What do you think about that? You know how you said that this deck doesn't look like it can trigger Phoenix out of the graveyard until turn three. Right. Just to give you a little scoop, a little, a little tease. I'm not sure it can ever trigger Phoenix out of the graveyard. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. But more on that later. Because I I do want to start with the good. There was definitely some really powerful stuff going on here. For starters, I was really impressed with Haggle. This is the first time I ever played a deck that ran Haggle. I haven't tried Dredge, for instance. And when Haggle is working, it kind of feels like a passable impression of Faithless Looting. Especially if you have a Phoenix or an ox in your hand, or even a fiery temper in your hand, having something that you want to put in your graveyard or gives you a little additional upside when it goes in the graveyard while also triggering prowess, sometimes two prowess triggers, feels fantastic. Likewise, getting birds into the graveyard is really easy thanks to lightning axe, haggle, thrill of possibility, and sometimes ox. I also gotta say... I've never liked Warlord's Fury, but in this deck, it felt fine. And the cantrips synergize really nicely with the one one drops. Mm-hmm. Warlord's Fury in particular, this is the single red sorcery draw card creatures you control gain first strike. Was really nice when I felt like I was swinging with some two threes or three fours into a wall of chump blockers. And it, in certain situations, those wouldn't survive combat. But thanks to Warlord's Fury they actually survive combat more often. Yeah, like I said last week in the mono-white deck uh, dive, I think First Strike is a somewhat underrated 
uh, ability on some cards, especially in a, in a board based format like pioneer is much more than modern, I think. So being able to threaten some really disadvantageous blocks or, you know, kill off a bunch of their blockers just because they have to block because you're presenting lethal. That's really valuable. And I know we spent a little bit of time in the breakdown talking about Swift Spear and prowess creatures in general, but this deck is just another reminder that a turn one prowess creature is a totally decent threat, especially when opponents don't have fatal push or their own red removal. Yeah. And it's kind of like in any format where those two cards are available, there's a good chance that there'll be a deck available that's around them, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is really um, a feature of the deck, but the fact that Haggle is a May ability, meaning even if you don't want to discard something, but you can just cast it to get it into the adventure zone and trigger prowess. I don't know. I think that's really amusing. That's funny. I didn't even think about that because in Dredge, you're never going to just cast it for nothing, but it's just like, just <laughs> it's just a, a one CMC nothing. <laughs> This feels like one of those test cards in the Mystery Booster Convention Edition, which is like the Is It Mage do does its thing or whatever. Yeah, the Is It one is the best, where it's like, just return this to your hand. <laughs> so that was the good. I gotta be honest, there was some bad. I really felt like getting birds out of the graveyard was pretty challenging in this deck. Technically, the deck only has 12 cards that are truly one mana. And the other one mana cards make you jump through hoops. So Lightning Axe, Fiery Temper, you have to have something in your hand to make them castable for cheap. You can't, you know, cast the Lightning Axe for one mana if it's the last card in your hand. And likewise, the modern deck makes this easier by using Mana Morphos or Lightning Bolt or Lava Spike or Lava Dart and Spectacle cards to increase the number of one mana spells or increase the number of spells you can cast in a single turn. So that's something that this strategy will net will need to overcome if it's going to continue to evolve. I think maybe making the Phoenix deck or the Phoenix plan a little bit more focused and improving the suite of cards you have to get Phoenixes out of the board or out of the graveyard is definitely room for improvement that I was looking on as I began testing this deck a little bit more thoroughly. Another issue I had with the deck is Ox of Agonis. Hated this card. Can I can I tell a quick story? Please. So you were streaming this deck. Yeah. Yeah. I streamed it uh, over the weekend. And my, my son and I were watching <laughs> the stream and about two matches into stand stream or one match into stand stream, I guess, like the second match, my son starts going, what's that guy? He looks so mean. And he's just pointing at, he's, <laughs> he's four and he's like, it's so mean. And I'm like, oh, that's the Ox of Agonis. And he goes, Ox of Agonis. And he starts like, talking talking about it and he starts pretending to be the ox and he kept keeps running by the tv and pointing at ox and being like there's the ox and then he would go and play for a little bit come by and go there's the ox he would run come by again later there's the ox and i realized after a little while that uh the reason that he always saw the ox is because it was literally always in stan's hand every single which is the place you don't want that card to be yeah it was in my hand a lot and there were so many different game states where i tried to tap into Ox's, you know, either front-end or back-end ability. But I feel like, A, it non-bows with Phoenix pretty hard, since you have to exile eight cards from your graveyard. That's a lot. In order to flash it back. And that is a lot, because sometimes your Phoenixes are standing there, and I don't 
always feel like, what is it, a, a 5-3 on the board is actually better than a recursive 3-2 flyer. It does refill your hand, which is cool, but there are other cards that can refill your hand that maybe can replace Ox of Agonis. As I said, the front end, five mana just to cast it fairly, super expensive. And the back end depletes your whole graveyard. Likewise, it doesn't really synergize with the rest of the deck, except perhaps by being an easy card to pitch to something like Thrill, Haggle, or Lightning Axe. You know, you don't necessarily want to throw away your crash throughs or, you know, one of your creatures, but if you have an ox, it feels okay throwing that into the graveyard because that's where it wants to be, theoretically. Another overall issue I had with this deck was that it didn't feel to me like it had a real burn plan to fall back on. Fiery Temper being the only burn card that goes to face in this deck. And I found it really curious that it was missing both Shock as well as Skewer the Critics or even Light Up the Stage for that matter. Because these are just really good one mana red cards that see a lot of competitive play. So what did I do? I started tweaking. You got to tweak. If you're not tweaking, I don't think you're really playing Magic. Mm. Well, I mean, I think it's it's fair to tweak decks like this right because it's not like you're taking some established archetype and being like well i i know how to make this deck better it's it's these are these are very untuned lists these are lists that people aren't iterating upon so it's i think this is the kind of instance where i think iteration and and tuning makes a lot of sense thank you i feel vindicated so some initial changes that i would recommend taking the deck from Emma's article moving forward. And, and these are some changes that I actually made and got to test with too. I'd actually cut Ox of Agonis entirely, as well as Finale of Promise. For one, Finale felt too expensive to get real value off of it. And there actually, in this particular deck, wasn't a good mix of both instants and sorceries to get the triple spell off of it. Yeah. Yeah, you need to be running Shock at the very least if you're going to run Finale, right? And then kind of see if there's even more instants that you can put in for for one mana. And you still only want run one or two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and as for Ox, I just don't think it belongs in this deck, period. Or at least in this version with, with Phoenixes and without a lot of ways that are dedicated ways to fill the graveyard. And ultimately, I think those four slots could just easily be shocks, and your deck will probably be a little bit more consistent. So I cut the four ox, replaced them with shock. I cut Finale of Promise, replaced it with an extra land. Because at first, the deck was only running 19 lands. And I found that I was in the situation where you always have to keep a hand that had both a land and a prowess creature. And sometimes that means you have to keep one landers. And as a result, your Madness cards, and and really here we're talking about Fiery Temper. That's what it's called, right? Yep, Fiery Temper. Yeah, it's mad. Your Madness cards, basically unplayable unless you have at least two mana. And Fiery Temper is a really powerful card in a deck like this. So having a bunch of one mana spells to get a bird out of the yard really sucks if you're out of mana to cast them. Mm-hmm. And likewise, it's it's really easy to ditch extra lands if you start to flood out, because that's what thrill possibility and haggle and lightning x are for so my ultimate assessment of this deck believe plus okay okay believe plus i'm not expecting you to say that at all but okay what were you expecting believe minus here's why i think it's a believe plus i thought setting up phoenix was really easy 
but it was the payoffs that didn't feel consistent enough. And looking at what makes the deck work in modern, I think provides a framework for the pioneer version or what it could be by tapping into maybe a critical mass of burn spells, some tools to churn through your library could in theory help you get birds out of the yard more reliably. And we have a lot of options at our disposal to really imitate that original strategy with a bit of fine tuning. I don't see why this couldn't be the type of strategy that had some play, at least at the LGS level and could periodically appear in five lists as well. Stan, it sounds like you're moving towards the is it Phoenix concept, but how, how do you think you can keep this as sort of the, you still, I think you're saying you can still keep this as like a burn strategy versus like the, the do nothing classic. Is it strategy opt and opt and is it charm and opt? I, and I think that's what it comes down to is you have to be able to have both your turn one prowess plays coupled with your turn three or turn four Phoenix plays, as well as some burn strategy on the side to do an extra few points of damage just to finish them off as opposed to is it Phoenix, which is just casting cantrips and filling up your yard and getting treasure cruises online. Sometimes it's split thing, a thing in the ice, but that's a much dirtier deck. And this is a much more proactive deck. And that's really what I like about it is that you get to be the player who's asking questions and you, in some cases living off the top of your deck as burn strategy so often do, but these prowess creatures, I think, are such strong build-arounds, and Phoenix being a card that you can get into the yard while triggering prowess and having a really cohesive plan. I think the pieces are there that this deck not only can find a more consistent synergy, but over time, I can see it getting even better if we find more one-mana red spells to tap into. Yeah. Hey, Shane, I played you with this deck, my version of it. Oh, yeah. And I kicked your butt. Oh, yeah, it stopped my budget deck. And I was playing like not even like a really bad one at that point. I was sort of testing like a third iteration. Yeah, like when you 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 filled the board with like, you know, two or three prowess creatures, just cast a bunch of one mana spells, lightning axed my creatures. It it felt bad, man. Don't feel too bad. I did better against you than I did in my leagues with the original deck. Well, that's to be expected, right? <laughs> that's how it goes. Nobody's looking. Dave, save us. Tell us about a mono red deck that's better. I don't know if I can save you, but I can offer you this. Can you offer us at least 15 <clears throat> minutes of content, my friend? About about 10 more minutes of Ox Talks. I can <laughs> give you that. Are you ready for that? Because the deck that I played this week, uh, as we mentioned earlier, is a mono red hollow one deck for Pioneer, um, which, of course, you know, like it sounds like, is trying to port hollow one over from the former glory days that it had in modern into pioneer. And you, you loved hollow one, right? Or at least you liked it. I really loved hollow Phoenix, Mm. which was, uh, one of the earliest iterations of the mono red Phoenix deck was one that basically took the hollow one strategy threw Phoenix into it and tried to just go wild with that. And, I actually thought that was a pretty good deck, and I kind of felt like eventually it would come back. Of course, it it died the same way that all the other Phoenix decks died in Modern when Faithless Looting got banned. But um, yeah, so that was the deck that I really enjoyed. Now, I also played some Hollow One, just the traditional red-black one. Um, so let me tell you about the cards that are in this deck, because there's, there's a lot of real all-stars that make, <laughs> make this deck up. So it's got 24 uh, creatures in it. And here are the highlights. It's six four ofs, 
Okay. So you've got your suite of let's call them um, let's call them discard payoffs first. Okay. And those cards are four hollow ones. Makes sense. Right. That's the the, the title. Four Ox of Agonis, Stan's favorite card. And four Flame Wake Phoenix. Another Phoenix. So so here's the here's the thing. So Hollow One is a four four golem that costs five, but it costs two colorless less for each card you've cycled or discarded this turn. So the way this card used to work in modern was you would try to discard three cards in a turn and then be able to play hollow one out of your hand. And the way you do this in modern is you would do things like burning inquiry, faithless looting, uh, goblin lore, as well as ways to just kind of like set up a hand. And maybe sometimes you would go totally wild and play a burning inquiry on turn one, discard three cards, draw three hollow ones and play three hollow ones on turn one. That's what that deck was capable of. This deck is really trying to do some some different stuff, but still use Hollow One as a payoff for the cards that I would call the discard uh, enablers, right? So the cards that you actually, there's one more payoff that I should talk about quickly too. Two more. Flameblade Adept is a one mana, one, two from Amonkhet. It has Menace, and it says whenever you cycle or discard a card, Flameblade Adept gets plus one, plus oh until end of turn. This is sort of like your your prowessy one drop in mm-hmm. this deck where every time you discard a card and it, it pumps it for each card you discard, it gets bigger and it has menace. So it's kind of hard to interact with. So if they block it, you usually get two creatures out of it. A lot of times it just goes through and kind of hits somebody for four or five damage. The other card is flame wake Phoenix, which is from fate reforged. And this is a very good card that I think is worth keeping an eye on, which is a, uh, one red, red two, two flying haste flame wake Phoenix attacks each turn. If able, it has ferocious though. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control a creature with power four or greater, you may pay red. If you do return flame wake Phoenix from your graveyard to the battlefield. So basically you just need a four power creature to, to have this go. And it just happens to work out that there are 12, four power creatures in this deck. There's four hollow ones, four ox of Agonis, and four blood rage brawlers. Additionally, if you can pump up flame weight, flame blade adept with three discards, it can also be four power and also trigger flame wake Phoenix. The thing is, you know, blood rage brawler, which is like total draft chaff from risky <laughs> draft strategies. And Amaket block is a four, three for two that says when blood rage brawler enters the battlefield, discard a card. So if you have an early hand where you have blood rage brawler, you can discard your flame wake Phoenix and then it's ready to go the next turn. If the brawler um, survives, if you end up casting brawler on turn three, you can bring your, uh, bring your flame like Phoenix back immediately. Um, so there's a lot of synergy between the different cards that are here that all play off of the discard mechanic. The final card that's in here that I think is actually really important is a four of Bomat courier, mm. which is a card that um, you know, is super powerful and is used in different ways in different decks and different aggressive decks in this deck. You can do, two things with it. One is you can use it to refill your hand. You also can use it to discard a ton of cards out of your hand to do things like power up a hollow one to power up a flame blade adept. If you want to fuel the graveyard for ox of Agonis. So there's kind of all these different ways that Bomat courier can help you have some velocity going through the deck. But doesn't Bomat make you discard your whole hand? Sure does. And that's the beauty of it. <laughs> but here's my point. So then you have to draw a hollow one off of it. Correct. So let's talk a little bit right there. This is a great point. 
I found in playing this deck that, you know, you might assume that you are trying to um, cheat out Hollow One as the main game plan of this deck because it's the it's the title card. I think what you really do in this deck is try to go sort of wide with four power creatures. And being able to play multiple four power cards on like turn four, for example, where you blow up your hand, where you play a Blood Rage Brawler, then blow up your hand with Wilmat Courier and happen to like draw into a hollow one or two and then play those for cheap. That seems to be the way that this deck actually works in my mind that you're not really trying to get hollow one out early. What you're trying to do is get it out a little bit later for cheap so that you can play a bunch of cards per turn instead. So it's a, it's a little bit not an aggressive cheaty strategy. It's more like, how can I have the most value out of the cards that I have in my hand? Does that make sense or sound reasonable? Totally. And the way that it does that is there's a whole bunch more discard enablers in the spells. So this deck in the spells area is just filled with cards that make you discard other cards. There's Cathartic Reunion, which, you know, uh, is a little bit like Thrill of Possibility. I think it's interesting, Stan. I would I would probably, if you were going to try Phoenix more, I would probably try Cathartic Reunion instead because I'm not sure how important it is that that card is an instant in that mono red version of the deck. And drawing an extra card off of this is kind of a big big deal. Now you do have to discard two cards to get this to work. So the synergy probably doesn't line up as well, but I, I actually felt like this card was super powerful in this deck and let me do a lot of things where I would like play this on turn three and discard an ox and a uh, fiery temper and then madness somebody with the fiery temper, draw three cards and be able to move on and then potentially activate my ox on turn four from there to be able to do a bunch of extra stuff, redraw my hand, blah, 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 blah. You did get to chain things together like that, and seeing Cathartic Reunion in this deck, I felt like was really good. Um, Collective Defiance is a card that's a lot more complicated, and people probably don't know it as much. It's a one red, red, red sorcery with Escalate one, and it says choose one or more. Target player discards all the cards in his or her hand, then draws that many cards. Uh, the second mode is Collective Defiance deals four damage to target creature. And the third mode is Collective Defiance deals three damage to target opponent or planeswalker is what it says now um i think this is sort of like a utility card i found this to be one of the worst cards in the deck but it did save me a couple of times when i needed to hit somebody for an extra three damage or kill a slightly larger creature and i didn't have lightning axe Uh, i never used the first mode on this card but i imagine some somewhat broken plays where you just go for it you discard a bunch of cards in the graveyard draw a bunch of cards see if you get a hollow one and then fire a box of agonis on the next turn and kind of try to go to town from there um, this deck also runs a couple of Flame of Keld, mm. which is yes. the uh, the saga from Dominaria. This card was great, honestly. Crafting your plays so that when you discarded your hand, you could decide, oh, I do want to discard cards this time so that I can um, trigger Hollow One's ability and play it cheaply, or power up my Flame Blade Adepts, or conversely being able to play this card where you have no cards in your hand that you care about to set yourself up for drawing two extra cards on the next turn was really good i even used the damage doubling ability a couple of times to kill people now it's maybe a little bit win more but it did get me to take someone from 10 down to nothing through a couple of by using a couple of flame wake phoenixes on the right turn and a fiery temper and um it was good it's another discard enabler and then finally this car, this deck also has four fiery temper and two lightning axes, similar to what uh, Stan, the deck that Stan was talking about was. So, general impressions about the deck itself. Um, I have 
a lot of fun playing this deck. I mean, I thought it was a cool puzzle to figure out. It felt kind of medium powerful and I did I did okay. I kind of like narrowly missed a 3-2 with this deck and the league that I took it through. Um, there's a lot of fun synergy between all these underpower cards, but when it comes down to it, there's a number of cards in this deck that are just really not powerful enough for constructed play. And I'm looking at you, Blood Rage Brawler, when I, when I say that. I also think that it's kind of wild that these decks always have four Ox of Agonis, because even though I felt like Ox really worked in this deck, I probably would only rather have two or maybe three. And yeah, four is a lot. It's a lot, and it's super powerful. And you can get those plays, like I said, where you get it in the graveyard early, enable it early, get to refill your hand, get a five three out. Maybe maybe they kill it because you know they they have to because they have to block it or something, and then you get to do it all over again somehow. You don't often get to trigger this card twice in a single game because it's it's not the easiest thing in the world to fill the graveyard. But I definitely felt it worked in here. But I, I don't think you need all these. The one thing I would say is that there's there's too many discard cards in this deck in general, and maybe not enough payoffs, I think. And so one card I was looking at that was in sideboard is there's two um there's two uh Hazarets in the sideboard that I brought in quite often when I wanted a resilient threat. And Hazaret was just awesome in in that way. I, you know, the games where I got it out, you know, the discard ability was great having it back as a blocker actually was great a couple of times to be able to hold back and like fill up my hand and then do a bunch of stuff to kill somebody. Um, I thought that that was really, really, really good. And I would probably try that main over so many oxes. Dave, maybe I'm missing something and you too, Stan, why do you think people aren't running Bedlam Reveler in these decks? I don't know. I, I think the difference between Bedlam and ox is that you can theoretically cast ox multiple times. It's like a high theory. The theory there is a little bit risky. Like that's a lot of cards in the graveyard. Right. Yeah. I, here's here's where I'm coming from. Bedlam Reveler. It's too hard to get enough spells in the graveyard to make Bedlam Reveler good in in Pioneer. In your deck though, Stan's deck. In this, in my deck, it definitely was. Yeah. In my deck, I think it is more viable theoretically. Yeah, with Crash Through and Warlord's Fury, for sure to be able to go and do that. Um, but I, that's definitely why this deck is not running Bedlam Reveler. Mm-hmm. I think that the free spells, I mean, I've been playing Mono Red Prowess again in, in modern, in our dive down kind of tournaments. I was, I ran it and I was just reminded of how totally off, you know, totally wild it is to be able to go like gut shot, lava dart, Manamorphose to just like be able to play a turn three Bedlam Reveler is so huge and powerful that um yeah I, I I just feel like there's not quite enough enablers here so I would definitely try to do um Hazred in the main of this deck anyway the other thing that I would say really quickly is that um I think that Beaumont Courier is one of the most important cards in this particular deck and knowing when to to blow hmm. it up to either enable a bunch of discard stuff or just refill your hand or whatever, because this deck sort of straddles the line between a, um, a an, an ag- early kind of aggro deck, which I feel like it's not as good at doing, and a deck that kind of suddenly has presents a ton of wide threats in the mid game. And then I think it's a lot better at that. So I feel like I was constantly trying to make sure that my hand was full in the middle of the game by cashing in stuff at the beginning of the game. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is like, there's no way in this deck to enable a hollow one before turn three 
And so similar to the Phoenix deck, you're not really trying to cheat things out quite like like that. And there's some awkward interactions in the deck where like I think when you look at your your deck list, you go, well, Flame of Keld seems awesome with Hollow One, except for they don't really enable each other at all. Because Flame of Keld makes you discard your whole hand. It doesn't let you draw any new cards, so you don't get a chance to be able to cast Hollow One off of the discard trigger from Flame of Keld. And so there's there's other things like that that you just have to like keep an eye out for. The best way to enable Hollow One is through Cathartic Reunion or through kind of like mising your way into drawing it off of an Ox of Agonis trigger or or something like that. Um, the biggest problem I had playing this deck was about was losing to creatures that were just bigger than mine, and I think that's something that happens in red decks quite often because you just don't have a way to kill stuff that's higher than X5 in Pioneer, right? Unless you get lucky and you find some way to string together a couple of removal spells. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, against the mono green uh planeswalkers deck it was pretty tough to keep up unless i managed to kill a couple of their creatures if they exposed them in a way that was really easy Uh, a lot of times what i was doing was siding in magma spray and stuff to kind of try to take them off of their early ramp and that was better but it it's still i still didn't always keep up so you know this is a deck that's sometimes easy to go over the top of um but I definitely felt like there's enough pieces here where I would keep an eye on the core of this deck and, in fact, the core of Stan's deck to just see what comes down the road as far as enabling a strategy like this to work in Pioneer because I feel like it's really just like one card away. Should we just shuffle our decks together and see what happens? Sure, we'll just each take seven off the top and just play against each other and just kind of go <laughs> from there. Will Will that combined deck have eight oxes in it? <laughs> that would be illegal, Dave. Oh, even when there's two players, eight oxes is illegal. Well, maybe when you put it that way. So I think the last thing I would say is that uh, I would give this just a believe. Uh, I think it's fine. I think for $20, if you want to play a pioneer deck, that's pretty competitive for 20 bucks in paper. I think that's totally worth that money. And so if you're going to go to an LGS or you want to play online and you just want to learn about the format, go in the tournament practice room, maybe see if you can get some tickets out of it. I think this deck could get there. I've been playing uh, a discard heavy synergy deck in a, in a different game entirely. Um, Legends of Runeterra. And I really like the way you have to think about discard decks. It makes you have to think about setup and payoff and execution in a pretty novel way. Like most decks aren't really built around discard discard engines. And so I think playing a deck like this is both interesting and has some interesting power level and payoffs that will keep you more into the deck than if it's just kind of a run of the mill some creatures, some pump spells, hopefully you you get in there and, and, and finish off your opponent. And so I think there's something to be said there for like the sticking power of a deck that makes you think. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I, I do think the inherent power level is here. It's just it's sort of clouded by a couple of pieces that you have to run that aren't very good. And so if there happens to be like a mono red, another like a cheap mono red discard payoff that appears like a spell that comes back or a two, two that comes back from the graveyard or something like that. Like think about blood gassed, right? If there was a card in pioneer that was sort of a blood gassed ish card that replaced, um, 
replaced Blood Rage Brawler in this deck, for example, even if the if it, you know, it was a sort of marginal effect, it might make the power level of this deck go up quite a bit. And so that's something to look at. If somehow they print some kind of slightly cheaper enabler, like discard enabler that helps you kind of be more card neutral through it, which is very unlikely to happen, that's possible. If there's a set that comes up where there's a um, madness card in it that has a one casting cost that you can do some stuff with, that might be another way that that kind of this deck can improve as well. And also I think uh, the deck that Stan was playing too, but um, we'll see. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Shane. Yes. How many Oxyvagonis were in your deck? Weirdly, none. <gasps> and I'll tell you why. All the cards were blue. What? So weird. It's very me. But that's a red card. It's very me, this deck. The Ox, I mean. So I decided to take a mono blue deck off for a spin this week. It's uh, on Goldfish. It's called like a mono blue like skies deck. And it costs only about like 65 bucks in paper. And it's primarily designed around casting mostly cheap blue flyers. A lot of them have flash to operate at instant speed and offer some other disruption elements. Hopefully get a little bit of card advantage off some curious obsession. Counter a few spells of wizard's retort. Um, It's not exactly a wizard's deck. It only has 12 wizards, but it can get the job done even as a cancel sometimes. Did you play this deck in standard? The mono blue tempo deck when it was there? No, I, I never played the blue tempo deck, really. I played against it a lot. Yeah, this is very similar to that deck. Yes, exactly. Um, which is kind of telling to the to the potential power level here. Um, our, our creatures, we have like 12, 14 one drops, okay? 12 of them are somewhat disruptive, and they also they also all fly. So we have Judges Familiar, Siren Storm Tamer and the Spirit Staple Mausoleum Wanderer. They, you can, all of these creatures can be sacrificed in response to mostly uh, instants and sorceries. Um, Siren Storm Tamer can any t- any spell that targets you or a permanent you control, it can be sacrificed, and that will then try to counter the spell from your opponent, hopefully creating kind of a a tempo negative situation for them, I think is the ostensible game plan there. Spectral Sailor is your other one drop. It's in there as a two of in this deck for some more flying goodness. And it also offers some late game card draw for three and a blue. You can get to draw a card. Our two drop is Merfolk Trickster. So kind of going against the the theoretical core game plan here of, of blue flyers. This is a blue, blue spell. It, it, when it comes in, it can flash in, it can tap a creature and make that creature lose, uh, their abilities for that turn. This card is so good. It can be. If you've never played a, a deck with this card in it, the applications for that text that makes them lose their abilities until end of turn is broad. It's much more, much more broad than I think a lot of people think it is. Yeah, it's pretty. Like you can do stuff like before going into combat, you can flash it in, tap down a goblin rebel master. That rebel master is not able to attack; it doesn't make the token. I mean, some stuff as simple as that to you know, much more complex and, and interesting ideas like uh, life link, like death touch, like first strike, all sorts of stuff. Indestructible. Yeah. Ooh, it makes things lose indestructible. Like there's all kinds of stuff. That's cool. 
And then our, our three slot, there are four Nimble Obstructionist and four Tempest Gin. Um, if you don't already know, I hate Nimble Obstructionist. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's it's probably my least favorite spell to even the frequency of play, which is not that high. Uh, I think three mana. It's a a long running bit between Shane and Stan <laughs> about where Nimble Obstructionist might be good and if it might be good. So what the Nimble Obstructionist is a three one flash flyer for three, um, which is behind rate in my opinion. And I think Vendillion click would like to have a word with you, but, yeah, but okay. Vendillion click has a much better other part of the text box. So the other part of the text box on Nimble Obstructionist is you can cycle it for two and a blue. And when you cycle Nimble Obstructionist, it counters an activated or triggered ability of an opponent's card. Right? So that's just like a pretty narrow, set of things. I mean, of course there's, there's quite a few, but it's still pretty narrow. It's also a pretty bad rate to kind of draw a card for three and, and stop an activated or triggered ability in my opinion. So, I mean, when you compare this card to say spell queller, it's not, you're not really getting a lot here, but it's because you're a mono blue deck here, that's what you kind of are signing up for at that slot. Tempest Gin is kind of the best payoff for this deck. It's an 04 flyer. It's blue, blue, blue. It gets plus one, plus zero for each island you control. So this is kind of like your big finisher. It's a huge flying body, potentially. It scales well into the end game. Um, if you've got six islands down, you have a you know six, four flyer for three. That's not bad. And to give these mostly uh, you know itty-bitty flyers some oomph, the deck is running four favorable wins which is a two CMC enchantment gives your creatures, all your flying creatures plus one, plus one and for curious obsession. And like Dave was saying, this is kind of like that blue, that single blue mana staple uh, from the standard mono blue tempo deck. It's a creature aura that gives plus one, plus one. But when the creature deals damage to the opponent, you get to draw a card. An important piece of text on that enchantment is that if you don't attack, you have to sacrifice it. And that can be some that can lead to some bad situations where you're like, well, I've got to leave back this chump blocker because I am way behind on tempo and I have to block here. And so you just lose your your aura. Hopefully you got a, a card of value out of it. It's not too hard to get a like a card out of it. You know, even if your creature gets killed, maybe you can avoid the the two for one, but at least replacing the aura. So that's somewhat advantageous there. If the, if the opponent doesn't have interaction, if they don't have removal or like a reach creature, Curious Obsession can really pull you far ahead. But you know, there's a lot of flying. There's a lot of flying creatures. Spirits is very popular. There's a ton of removal out there in red decks, in Sultai decks, in control decks. So it can be challenging to get a lot of value off Curious Obsession in a Fatal Push metagame, or even like a Wild Slash metagame. Sideboard, kind of a suite of you know various specific disruption spells because you're a blue deck, so you get like Mystical Dispute, you get a Null, you get Aether Gust, you get Essence Scatter. You know, you want some Tormod's Crypts, you want some Disdainful Strokes, you want some Damping Spheres, whatever you want. In the <laughs> if if it's blue or an artifact, you're good to go. All this sounds really cool to me. It sounds cool. What happened? Well, let's 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 revisit these one drop one drop creatures in a second, Dave. Um, I want to talk about the pros. I'll talk about the pros. Let's let's start positively. Um, I don't think it has a lot. Um, it's going to be a short <laughs> section, is what you're saying. The mana is consistent. <laughs> There's that. Um, I actually, you know, what's funny about the mana is it runs four Ibni Rivet Rivulets, 
And I, I didn't like the Ipney rivulets. Like drawing multiples stinks because, and it makes your Tempest gin smaller, not not as powerful. Yeah. Why does it have four? Is it just trying to have like an eight, a trump card for uh, for inverter? I guess so. Because you're not trying to win through that plan at all. So it must just be trying to get to a consistent place where you can draw that card. I guess I, I think that I mean the value's not there. I don't think. I mean I think inverter inverter can has enough ways to just remove your creatures and they could just swing in with an inverter if they wanted to very, very easily. It seems like the game plan against inverter should be to concentrate on mystical disputing up and mm-hmm. keeping your one drops active. So you can try to, you know, interfere with the stuff that they're doing as opposed yeah. to, um, trying to if you rivulet them all the time, because like you said, yeah, that's terrible when you draw two. Yeah, it's not great. Um, you know, another pro, I guess, is, you know, in an interaction light matchup and you draw into your enchantments, you can present some kind of a clock, I guess. Um, Wizard's Retort is a cool spell when, when it's live, for sure. I mean, counter spell is a good spell. Uh, Tempest Gin can be a really big flyer and really big flyers uh, can win games. It can be really hard to... To remove, I mean, it, it doesn't die to Fatal Push unless it's enabled with Revolt, but it does, you know, it can get hit with Abrupt Decay, it can get hit with uh, Murderous Rider. There's a lot of ways to get a Tempest Gin off the board. That's why you need Dive Down instead of instead of some oh, of this other stuff. See, I mean, this, this deck is tweakable. But, so, I ran into some issues. So, let's let's look at, like, this this ostensible game plan of like these one drop disruptive flyers. Right? Yeah. Cause I was going to say when I played this deck on arena and I, I have been said out in here multiple times, that I don't like to play arena a lot, but I played during the era that this was in standard and this is the deck that I had. Yeah. Those flyers were really good at that time, but I can understand how they don't scale very well into pioneer where the removal is just better. Yeah. So, one of the issues is if you if you want to have a one drop and you want to put a curious obsession on it or pump it up with like a favorable wins, you don't want to sacrifice those things. <laughs> That's usually a downside to like sacrifice your suite of one drops because then you are losing power in the air. Mm-hmm. Or you're losing your curious obsession that you, you know, hopefully got a replacement on it. And what's in, what's more interesting, perhaps though, is that instants and sorceries are, of course, important in Magic altogether. But most of the instants and sorceries in Pioneer are removal spells. Mm-hmm. So you're still basically giving your opponent a one for one by sacrificing your creature in response to a removal spell. So you've got, you know, Mausoleum Wanderer and Judge's Familiar. Its abilities are like, the, and they're also just like these slight taxing effects. They're not even real counters besides the, uh, the, the other spirit thing, the, uh, the Siren Storm Tamer, right. the pirate. The pirate. So they're not even real counters. They don't scale well to the late game because you don't have your mausoleum wanderer being like a you know a three three because you're not it's not pumped up with lords or things like that, and so that's an issue. I, but what, I was surprised to like kind of look at the the most played spells in Pioneer and realize, man, there's not a lot of like instants and sorceries that people are winning games with, besides maybe a few 
Lotus Breach. Yeah. Like, so stuff like that, sure, it can potentially be valuable there. But like countering an incident of sorcery is not really winning you the game. It can maybe keep like your huge creature alive, like your Tempest Gin, but your, your opponent's typically going to have mana to cast that spell anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like more of a threat of activation thing in the early turns, these cards, right? Like you get them out, you play another one drop on turn two then you swing it you drop curious obsession on the other one drop swing in try to get a card off of it and then see where it kind of goes from there yeah it's like the, the the best way to win is to curve out perfectly right it really leans hard on curious obsession it really leans hard on favorable wins because your your one drops are just so weak as one ones that you almost have to have the anthem out you almost have to have some curious obsessions to really get some damage in and to get some card advantage. And the issue really I found is like the creatures don't have any inherent synergy. They all, they all kind of suck <laughs> by and large. They, some of them do some interesting things. Like you said, Merfolk trickster. Um, I still kind of like tempest gin, but it's not like you have spirit Lords. It's not like you have these one drops triggering each other very well to like mausoleum wanderer to be pumped up. There's not a lot of spirits here. Uh, nimble obstructionist isn't great. It's pretty expensive for what it is. Um, Merfolk trickster doesn't really make a lot of sense in a flyers deck. It's just sort of sort of like be a weird tempo play and do enable wizards retort. So my, I didn't have a great league or in, in any bonus games there. Um, I don't think this is what I would want to spend like 65 bucks on. And the reason for that is I think that you can build something for a little bit more money, but that scales much better into a longer toehold into the Pioneer format. So my rating on the Mono Blue Flyers deck as it's built is is a heave, okay? I'm just, I'm going to say it's, it's a heave because I don't think that it will be a way to have a lot of fun. I don't think it's going to have a lot of upgrade path out of the out of many of these cards and i think that'll be more frustrating than enjoyable to play with so what i think people who are into this kind of strategy should probably do is start with a budget like azorius spirits deck because for like 135 140 bucks yeah that's a lot compared to say some video games compared to a board game but this is magic this is not compared to my twenty dollar hollow one yes <laughs> it's just it's it's not a it's not a cheap hobby it's not a cheap game but you know you can try to get the card you can get back out of the cards later how much is that list online do you think the mono blue flyers no mono the this budget azorius spirits deck that you're kind of saying people should try to shift into instead the, the kind of budget one it's a uh, 70 bucks online 70 ticks makes more sense yeah, it's palatable, right? So you can build an, a pretty effective Azorius Spirits deck, and I think what's more important is it can cleanly be ported into a full blue-white spirits list or eventually Bant Spirits. I think Bant is pretty clearly the more powerful option right now, but that deck's over 400 bucks because it's got a bunch of expensive lands, it's got expensive collected companies, it has a few more expensive spirits than the list I'm I'm recommending. So I found this 5-0 list that was like 200 bucks. Um, and it had, you know, it has no Teferi Time Raveler. It has no Brazen Bower. Those are, that's a huge part of some of the costs of the more expensive version of the deck. Um, and instead it's using kind of Curious Obsession, like we just talked about. It has a one of Rally of Wings. 
which is like a the sort of instant speed uh, plus two plus two untap all your creatures thing that can be a really powerful sort of payoff anthem effect. Just sort of get every you know get all your flyers in there and get some damage through. So I ran this deck through a league. It didn't blow my mind or anything. This two hundred dollar one that went five zero, but it plays much more like a real synergistic tribal deck. It has lords, it has inherent synergies, it has powerful cards like Spell Queller and Selfless Spirit. It curves out much more reasonably, like your two and your three drop lords are making your early plays much more valuable and turns them into real threats. And and so like the, these sort of lord anthems are much more redundant than just having like four favorable wins, right? And as we know, redundancy is a really important part of successful magic decks. You don't just want to hopefully draw one of your four like decent little favorable wind anthems when you can have creatures that are pumping each other up, that are also attacking, and that just makes a lot more sense for being mana efficient. So what I did is I was like, 200 bucks is not really budget. I wanted to shave the deck down to be a little bit less expensive. I removed one Selfless Spirit, one Spell Queller. I removed all the dual lands besides Port Town. And you know I don't really love these reveal lands at all, but Port Town's much cheaper than Glacial Fortress, much cheaper than Hollowed Fountain, because this deck doesn't really have a lot of challenging mana requirements. It doesn't have any dual pips at all. Like it just has, you know, single blue mana, single white mana and colorless, you know, there's spell queller is blue and a white, but these aren't really that challenging to cast. So I thought having a bunch of islands, a bunch of planes and some port towns is likely sufficient. And I didn't test this a ton, but based on the hypergeometric math and based on my, my brief experience, I think it's pretty decent without those lands. And those can be some pretty early upgrades for you because those lands aren't going anywhere. And that that blue-white deck actually plays a lot more. That's something that feels like a real deck. And like I said before, it has like these upgrade paths that get you to either a full Azoria Spirits deck, gets you even further to a full Bant Spirits deck. And that's a powerful strategy in Pioneer that people are still playing because it's still good. Shane always has to be thinking ahead. <laughs> always be thinking about your future purchases. That's it. That's what, that's what I got. I think it's, I think that, um, the mono blue is, is just not powerful enough, but I think that, um, if you want to start with the flyers deck, the cheap spirits is, is, is definitely fun. And there might be other options in mono blue. Just flyers probably isn't it. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, the, but the problem is, is like the good mono blue stuff, like the mono blue devotion, which is not even close to tier one. It has Master of Waves, has Thassa's, has right. Gadwicks. It, you know, these cards are like fifteen to twenty dollars each, and that adds up quickly. Not to mention it has Nykthos. Yeah, yeah, Nykthos. Hundred dollars of Nykthos, please. So, in general, do you guys think budget decks have a home in Pioneer, and, and do you think they're at least maybe more viable in Pioneer than they are in Modern? I think there's more opportunity for it. I mean, I think there's still budgety stuff in both formats, but I think Pioneer being a little bit more nascent still has opportunities to get more wins uh, off of that kind of thing. I mean, what are our budget decks in modern? There's things like the classic, like Green Stompy. There's like Fetchless, Storm. Mono Red Prowess. I mean, Mono Red Prowess is 175 bucks in paper. Oh man, that's so cheap. Just play that. 
but for modern, that's that's essentially budget. I think elves is probably still reasonably cheap. Elves, you have to get the green black dual, which I think is actually kind of hard to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. There are some mono green elf decks as well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is like modern just has always a few of those cards that are the price bottlenecks, and Pioneer doesn't have anywhere near as many. Yeah, I mean mono red burn is $100 according to Goldfish, and that includes playing cards like Eidolon of the Great Revel in it. Are these online or paper? That's paper, 100 bucks. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, if, you, if you're willing to play Burn, there's some stuff going on there. If you're willing to do some like taxi stuff, there's stuff going on there. I, I, I think there's definitely some a, a play in both formats, but I, I do think there's a better chance that the in Pioneer that those decks will get better or that they will be more competitive ultimately when it comes down to it. So let's say someone decides that they want to pick up a Pioneer deck on a budget to get to know the format. What would you look at right now, you know, either specifically or in theory as a way to discover this format at a reasonable price? I like Shane's plan. Honestly, I mean, if you can do $140, I mean, people aren't going to be playing paper too soon. So if you can do 75 (laughs) tickets and play blue-white spirits that's not fully upgraded, I think that seems like a good deck. I mean, I think Is It in Soul is a pretty good deck. It is 83 tickets online. You could play that. Um, Lotus Breach is only 100 tickets online if you wanted to go that way. There's, There's plenty of decks that are still good. I mean... Um, for a reasonable price. Yeah. I mean, how much was Sramos? I, I don't even remember how much the SRAM deck was anymore, but... It's cheap. It's really cheap. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the SRAM Auras deck is definitely reasonable. I think you could build that for probably under 100 bucks. So I think there's a lot of options. Yeah, I mean, I think if nothing else, our hypothesis has some weight, which is if you're trying to play competitive magic on a budget... You're just going to have more game in Pioneer than in Modern because, like Shane said, you don't have as many of these expensive bottleneck cards. Lands, on average, are cheaper because there's just fewer to choose from, and the ones that are available have been printed a ton. I can think of worse ways to spend 100 bucks than a deck that you know you can take through leagues and maybe even get some free rolls with. Totally agree. I think that the other thing to look at for a deck is kind of like what we identified with the decks that we played Stan, which is like this deck is got a lot of powerful cards in it that are looking for a home. And especially if there's a couple cards in it that are mythics that could go up in value in the future. Like if you're somebody who likes to play, you know, likes the sound of the Phoenix deck and you're like, well, I don't want to play the deck that Stan had like having access to arc light phoenixes in your collection is probably not a bad idea because i feel like someday that card will be good i feel mm-hmm. the same way about ox of Agonis. like i think someday that card will be good and hopefully it's not only good in dredge you know what i mean <laughs> but i think it's also good to look at cards that are also in more than one deck like if you can if you're, if you're looking at like a red base deck and you're like okay Every red base deck I'm going to play is going to have Soulscar Mage. It's going to have Bone Crusher Giant. It's going to have Monastery Swift Spear. It's going to have some Shocks. It's going to have some Lightning Strikes. You're not going to shoot yourself in the foot buying those cards and using those in any kind of strategy. While it might not be the fully built out version of that strategy, you can at least look at more reasonably costed alternatives. You know, like the the spells that Stan was was casting probably cost like 
25 cents each at your local game store. You can get a whole bunch of those and you have yourself a prowess deck. I think in general, one heuristic to look into when trying to play on a budget, you probably want to look for more proactive and aggressive strategies and try to play like grindier aggressive or I'm sorry, grindier controlling plans or mid-range plans. Because I think these, you know, one and two drops and cheap common or uncommon burn spells are plentiful in Pioneer especially. Whereas once you start playing with, you know, bigger, flashier rares and mythics, those games tend to slow down too. You know, maybe with the exception of bulk bin rares. Glorybringer was that for a while. Yeah. I just kind of think, unless you're playing maybe some kind of combo that people haven't fully tapped into or that's based entirely on uncommons, you're just going to have more bang for your buck casting like one and two drops and burn spells or maybe like cheap flyers than, you know, doing something really flashy. And as I always like to say and, and harp on a little bit is plan your purchases out. Like don't just buy a deck hoping you're going to like it. Play it online, play it on a rental service, play it on you know, Cockatrice or X-Mage, proxy it up with your friends, uh, play over the webcam until we can hang out with each other once again and see if you like the deck. Because even if it's 125 bucks and you don't really like playing it after a while, that's not exactly good value. You want to get value out of the games played that you enjoy playing. And if you're going to get more interest out of a $20 discard deck than a $125 mono red deck, then that's better value. Hey, we're not certified financial planners, but that's good value. That wraps up the dive down for this week. That also wraps up this week's episode. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in Modern or Pioneer, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon Joining at any tier gets you access to the super secret Slack channel. And let me tell you, it's one of the shining lights in the very dark time we're all experiencing right now. That Slack has kept me going. It's lit AF. Thanks to the nation for keeping me entertained while I work from home. That means that means among friends, right? It's lit among friends. Hmm. Also, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the dive down. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the dive down, all one word, to get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and save a bye!